Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 367. Someone, possibly by the name of Skydart, cannot be ripped away from Animal Crossing, which she ran out today to purchase. I was on the fence about it, and then I had to get it, and now I am stuck forever. Well, I'll tell you, I've never seen one sort of animal sell so many pairs to another sort of animal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this has really been (laughs) mind-bending. Oh, my God, wait until it's winter. (laughs) No. You you don't even know what the crops are like. I I won't find out. (laughs) No, I'm kind of invested. Extreme rare picking. <laughs> I'm kind of invested. Uh, hey, thanks if you came out to see the shows in Salt Lake City the past couple of days. I'm uh, headed off to Philly next, Helium, June 27th, 28th, and 29th. Go to nurse.com slash calendar. Also, uh, we have our big show the Saturday night of uh, San Diego Comic-Con. That's a live podcast at the Bobo Theater, so check that out as well. Hey, I'd like to thank a snazzy new sponsor to the Nervous Podcast, Hulu Plus. Right? So you probably streamed Hulu, but now there's Hulu Plus, and Hulu Plus basically gives you all of everything. Hulu, you'll get a limited number of shows in the current season, but a Hulu Plus, you can binge on full seasons. You can watch all your current shows, you can watch uh, full series runs, classic TV shows, shows like Community, or Modern Family, or South Park, or SNL, or Family Guy, or The Colbert Report. That's all for $7.99 a month at HuluPlus.com. Forward slash Nerdist, by the way, is a special promotional offer that we're extending to Nerdist podcast listeners. You basically can get a free trial, and we'll extend it for you. Downton Abbey, Hulu Plus. Grey's Anatomy, Hulu Plus. New Girl, Hulu Plus. This is the, the worst Office. rap I've ever heard Hulu in my Plus. life. It's prose rap. <laughs> it's prose rap. I'm tired of rap. You know, look, rap is rhyme talking, but I want a prose talk. Rhyme talking. Yep. That is HuluPlus.com forward slash Nerdist, all lowercase. This episode is Alex Winter, who uh, I'm sure you know as Bill S. Preston Esquire um, from, of course, Bill and Ted's. Huge Doctor Who nod in there, though, if you hadn't caught it before, of course you had. But Alex basically gave up acting in 93 and started directing, uh, and he directed a movie that we on the podcast are huge fans of, which is called Freaked. And uh, he's just a fantastic guy, and as you'll hear in this interview, uh, like, proto-nerd with the internet... I think Alex Winter might be the internet, I think is what we determined. But he's got a movie that he directed called Downloaded, 
which is uh, a limited run in theaters on June 21st, then available on VOD July 1st. But it's essentially about the rise and fall of Napster and Sean Fanning and Sean Parker. So uh, get it in a couple weeks when it's available. Or if it's after July 1st, then rush right now to the internet that you're probably on. The Nerds Podcast number 367 with Alex Winter. I got stung by bees. But none of that's real. Now entering Nerdist.com. When he asked for a coffee, I was so excited to get to Tokyo to do something. <laughs> you can tell him to do stuff. You're our guest. You can have the normal uh, size water. You yeah, you, get, you don't have to have a water nub. This is basically yeah. a shot of water. Yeah, I know. I love those. These teeny little things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. How do we recreate it's more, more waste? Right? Oh, it's well, more waste. Yeah. <laughs> what is more waste? Well, I think the idea behind it was like you know, like production. Because I only ever see them on productions. Oh, like the, 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 the nubs. Little, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like people always drink half a bottle of water and then leave it. Uh, so you say, you're saying that people drink more of these than those? No, I'm and saying... And this creates more I waste? That, I think that's the idea yeah. behind the original production of the Yebs. Yeah. I want to know what Alex Winter thinks about this. But could, where, are you, where do you weigh in right now politically on the water nub? I've given it an enormous amount of thought. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever that was just went clean out of my head. Okay. No, I, and I get these all the time, both when I'm shooting and just like in various places. And uh, the funniest thing, the other, I was somewhere the other day where they, would, they were being conservative with their little nubs. Yes. So like, I'm sorry, we can only give you one nub. I'm like, well, if you give me like four of them, I'll have like the equivalent of one glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record. Like the whole idea of like, of like water becoming this commodity yeah. that like you can't have more of. No. Well, you know do, the world's gone plumb Nestle. crazy when that happens, yeah. right? The Nestle CEO bought a shit ton of water up in Canada and he's like, I don't think water should be free. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. yeah. So I this, had the same thought, but yeah. I did not have the business acumen to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I love the idea of yeah. just putting your arms around a resource and saying, screw it, I'm charging should you for Should I direct another copyright. movie or should I yeah. dam off all the water from <laughs> yeah, humanity? Right. Monsanto has copyrighted water. I feel like... Uh, Didn't Lex Luthor do that? Wasn't that like his... Well, he, his plan was to uh, basically create... It's to sink California into the water right. and then create beachfront property in right. Nevada. So he and the CEO of Nestle have a lot in common. They have... Val- yeah. <laughs> Wait, which, which, which movie was that, the plot? Huh? That was the first Donner. one. That was the first that was, Donner movie. Okay. The, good, the really so good one. Superman Returns, he's just doing it again. This time he's just making continents. Wait, so we'd have beachfront property. Oh, and Superman Returns. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I just yeah. wanted—I just want to be sure. But you won't have Ned Beatty running around in a pork pie hat. No, so yeah, that's too bad. Mr. Yeah. Luthor. Hey, <laughs> Mr. Luthor. Oh, Mr. Luthor. The greatest thing in the world. That was fantastic. And yeah. when you really think about it, maybe like a just really a couple years after um, after the. Uh, uh, Oh God damn it! What is it? What is those? Where they get trying to do? scratch himself in That's the air, a, people? Who the can't deliverance? Oh, okay. Oh. Oh. Gonna, I'm not good jumble. at charades. That was uh, banjo. I, yes. I thought you were doing air guitar. I, I was, was like doing. I think you were just squeezing one of those blow-up guitars you get at a fair. So a couple years after deliverance, then Mr. Luthor. Hey, Mr. Luthor. Yeah, it was a hell of a comeback. Still a fucking great movie. Oh, the best. Both of those movies are great. Pretty soon, water will just be the cap. You'll just get a cap yeah and exactly. it'll be like be a, nine dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, 
Just like a hummingbird, you'll yeah. just have you're to drink it at some yeah. fancy bar in Venice. All water yeah, yeah. will be priced yeah. like yeah. it's Woodstock '98. Our water's yeah. more wet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Alex. Thank Winter. you, sir. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank I you. I, uh, I was a big fan of uh, Freaked. Uh, yeah, Freaked loved the shit out of that movie. Thank Idiot you. box. Yeah, oh 35 God. years later, it looks like we have a Blu-ray of Freak coming out. No way. <laughs> no, like August 6th, done. I think. It just got announced yesterday. That's great. I've been fighting for it for decades. Well, it'd be weird if you had a Blu-ray come out earlier. <laughs> well, like 20 yeah, years ago. That would have been There's really that. cutting edge. DVDs are gone now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so it's still a little late. Yeah, I guess they kind of are gone. Now yeah. it's basically Blu-ray or you just... Thumb drive. Or, yeah, or yeah. thumb drive. <laughs> Or yeah, you just, just a company shit. blows it your way. <laughs> yeah, oh, you have that was great. Yeah. And then you get the you you get the experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so so many things I want to talk to you about. Uh, but first, I did I watched downloaded last night. Oh, cool. And and totally fascinated by. I mean, I I I knew the sort of broad strokes of of Sean Fanning and Parker and the and the Napster thing, but uh, I didn't really know I didn't really know all of the details. I didn't really right. know how many steps along the way it seemed like. Oh, you know, they could still pull it off and the, they could make a deal with the recording. Heartbreaking. No, yeah. no. <laughs> no, the recording industry just went in with the iron giant and yeah. it turned into a giant. Exactly. A, yeah. a, a I am not a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just yeah. just that idea where uh where it fit feel like the recording industry prevailed and then they realized like Oh yeah, people are just going to do this anyway. Yeah, that's right. There yeah. was a sort of head scratching moment after the four hundred million dollars of legal fees of uh, oh, it didn't actually stop anything anyway. Oh, wow. the the oh, internet. Well. Come just... back, wait, come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come come back. Just, we're just joking. <laughs> yeah, I was only kidding. <laughs> and I'm ninety, and you sued me for yeah. fifty grand. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, so. Sorry. <laughs> um, did, did you uh, did you approach? Those guys about that, or did they? How did the how did download it come together? Uh, in brief, you know, it, yeah, so it's the rise and fall of Napster, which, um, you know, being older than twelve, which I am, I'll give that much away. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I sort of had bridged the analog to digital. It was that generation that bridged the analog to digital gap in a big way, and that I was a big Napster user. I was really big into the internet when it showed up, and for laymen in like the early '90s, I was really into BBS groups and oh, you know the alt groups. Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, I wasn't so much an IRC, but basically, the beginning of social networks and communities online was really something I was interested in. And then Napster '98 dial-up super slow internet barely works and then suddenly you have this thing that shows up that was really fast connected you to people around the world right away um you know file sharing you know chat all the stuff that just hadn't happened before yeah so i was a huge proponent and then you know probably a month before it went offline i was like oh wait a minute is this legal <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. i can just take all this yeah it's like 90 gigabytes of hard drive space later right like, but it, but it is sort of it is sort of like thinking of the idea is, is not so much that Napster is a is a music piracy service, but um, a a really powerful indexing service. Completely, which yeah. it, com, you know, like if you if you strip away um, <laughs> the legality, <laughs> but it really yeah. it really did it really did change the way that um, that we could get files to people and share and 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 and, and I and I remember feeling like, wait, so anything, anyone, really, yeah. like that that's that was the first that was. Well, the first time that I ever felt like, oh, we're all a community on the internet was like AOL 94. Mm -hmm. 
And then the second time where I felt like, oh, fuck, we really are. Like, the, like there is a localized community of the world coming together was, was Napster. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt, too. Because for me, it was, that was the whole thing. It just blew doors open. Like, suddenly, everything that had been clunky, had been promising but clunky, was suddenly really fat. Like, it was the beginning of the internet being a real-time global community for me. Yeah. And that was much more interesting to me than the file-sharing side because we just had never had anything like that before. So it was really revolutionary. And then, obviously, it got shut down. And I, and I was really taken by the story of Fanning and Parker and what they had gone through. And it wasn't just like, you know, they were heroes or something. It was This was before we sort of looked at Internet people as heroes or villains. Right. You know? They were just these two kids who invented something really interesting that had a lot of, you know, complexity and legal issues around it, no doubt. Right. So there was a lot of gray area. And I just found it a really fascinating cultural story. So I met them in like 02 and pitched them making a movie of their story in 02. When Napster was just crumbling. Oh, wow. Um, and I wrote it, and they signed on. I wrote it as a narrative for MTV. I was going to do it to direct it there. And then they stopped making it. Was like, it was like chasing the tsunami, like you know, as reality TV was like destroying everything. You know, They stopped making movies altogether. Then I sold it to Paramount, and they stopped make, you know, MTV Films out of making movies. And I walked away from it in like 04, 05. And then like in 09, I was just kind of freaked out by how much divisiveness there still was in the internet community. Like there was, I figured that all these issues would have gotten solved. Like surely once Steve Jobs came along and said, no, people aren't thieves, they want to buy content, really, and everyone did. I figured a lot of this stuff was going to go away. And yet in 2009, it was like right before SOAP and all this stuff, everything was getting more heated yeah. and more fractious and more divisive. And nobody seemed to know what the hell was going on and who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. And, you know, Bradley Manning's a hero. No, he's the Antichrist. No, we have to like stop everyone from using the Internet. No, we need to be more free with the Internet. And I was like, all right, I met everybody. I knew all the players on the label side, the tech side and all that. I thought... Why don't I just get out of the way and make it a doc instead of a narrative and mm -hmm. let them just tell the story themselves? And that's why I went back to the story so many years later. And that's how it came out as a doc. It's really fun. It's funny. It's funny to watch um, Sean Fanning's family who are just, he's like, hey, these Boston guys. You know, <laughs> totally. His brother's like, they're hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, and all these uh, these guys are coming over and they're camping on a floor. Yeah. And then you cut Pack to it. and then you cut to Sean Fanning yeah. and he's the most articulate. <laughs> like, where did he? How did like, he? Doesn't even. Yeah, he's anomalous. I mean, he's an anomalous human being. I mean, you are dealing with that's the thing that I love about the Napster stories, whether you you know, whether you agree with what they did or not, you know, they are two of the most interesting individuals I've ever met by far. And Sean Parker looks <laughs> I love the idea that uh uh, they like that, that must have been good for Ezekiel. They're like, oh, they got Justin Timberlake to play me in the Facebook movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You see, like, okay, well, they're both white guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, that was the first when I first showed Parker. I've known those guys a long time. When I first showed him any of the movie, you know, the only thing he reacted to was like, oh Christ, look at my hair. <laughs> <You know? laughs> These sort of like '90s, like you know, streak tips hair yep. and you know, bobble neck. So they, they were god. 17 years old. They were kids. Oh my god! What was the first? What, what was your? What was your uh, biggest discovery on Napster when you first started? When you realized, like, oh shit, I can totally. What, what did you start downloading? Um, well, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, I wasn't even so much. It, it, you know, one of. I, I That's actually who, not true. I can't remember yeah. which guy said it in the in the in the OTF um, interviews, but um, 
there was one guy that was like, yeah, but the, the, the one of the powerful things was to get things that you were just not commercially available. That was Larry Lessig. That's actually how I approached it, because I was already, I already had my music collection. Right. I'd already been around long enough to have been suckered into buying vinyl, and then everything again on cassette, and then everything again on CD. Yeah. So I had my record collection four times over by the time Napster showed up. So yeah. I was mostly using it to get, like, rare jazz bootlegs. Right. That's yeah. what, like, when, I, when it first showed up, that's what I used it for for global community, because I was, like, being into, like, the alt-rec BBSs in those days. Mm -hmm. So I was using the internet to find music that way. Then you would go buy it, but someone would be like, oh, you haven't, you like Coltrane, why don't you check out this trumpet player from blah, 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 go buy this. And so immediately I was making friends in Japan, Germany, Finland, who were turning me on to all this stuff I'd never heard of. In fact, I went to, I was directing a lot of music videos in those days, and I remember going to Columbia Records um, on a music video I was shooting. And one of the heads of Columbia Records came in because he heard I was working on the Napster store. I thought he was going to kick me out of the building. This is like 02. And he was like, no, I love Napster. I was like, why? He's like, because we've been missing a whole chunk of the Coltrane archive here at Columbia. And they found it on a guy's hard drive oh, in Japan. Shit. Oh, shit. Like wow. really high quality stuff. That they, and they were able to, to round out their own, like Columbia's own Coltrane, ar Coltrane archive using Well, they, they sued it out of him, right? Well, yeah. no, that guy's in jail now. Yeah, of course. He's next door to Bradley but Manning. the important thing is yeah. they got the yeah. music. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they got it back. They brought it back to the conglomerates that own it. That's right. They have the rights to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they... Uh, they extracted whatever was left out of Alice Coltrane's like bank account. God, I would go in there and just search, you know, I would get these weird like, you know, Radiohead covered The Spy Who Loved Me and at a live right. show and someone like I would just I would just enter covers yeah. in a search in the search field and just get the most amazing I remember like doing dumb stuff like, you know, finding the 25 different versions of For What It's Worth, the Buffalo Springfield song. <laughs> There's like a barbershop quartet version, a Willie Nelson version, a, Ro a Rust Rasta version, the Candy Quasi Skins covered yeah, it. Seriously. Yeah. It's like and you'd have like drive like really whacked out but in those days, it's really there's nothing like Napster anymore, so it's hard to describe for people who weren't around then that you could type in anything, right, and it would show up, and it didn't matter if it was a Madonna single or something just insanely rare, like you know, you know, throat singers from the Ukraine. <laughs> sure, you would get it in like droves. Well, now it's now it's basically like torrent sites and like Pirate right. Bay and, right. stu and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is a little harder to search because no matter what you type in, you get porn. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, yeah, I know exactly. that most of the time you're typing in porn, but on the occasion that you're not. Yeah. Is you still just get porn? If you put yeah. in throat singer, you're gonna get you're gonna porn. get porn. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That, maybe that's why that keeps happening. <laughs> that, yeah. That's probably what keeps happening. But the throat singer porn is actually pretty valuable. It's not bad because yeah. they yeah. can sing at the same time. Yeah, that's what's yeah. surprising about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Eastern yeah. European ones are pretty. <laughs> anyway, where were we? One part of the uh, no, I want to keep going down this one. Um, <laughs> but that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mixed it up a little bit. You and I felt dirty. Gender bent it. Um, just uh, so when you when you first started uh, when you first started digging around online, did people have any idea that you were you? That, no, I mean point? maybe that was another thing that I liked about it. Fanny talks about the anonymity of the internet, which of course is long gone. There's no anonymity anywhere in the world anymore, except for the, trolls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the bastard. Um, but uh, you know, the the anonymity of it was cool. Um, was that you could sort of just be another person, you know, and your your interests. Sean talks about this in the movie. Your interests were what validated you online, not anything else about who you were. Yeah, and that that was appealing. But that would have been appealing to me personally, whether I was a quasi celebrity or not, because it's just kind of my nature. Um, and that's something that Fanning and I connected on was like the idea that global community could be something where, you know, social standing, class, all that stuff would just get wiped away, and it was just about what. What you were about yeah the early days of the net was all about that which yeah. is really interesting uh when did you first go online 
Um, I would say 90, 89, 90, somewhere in there. Oh, wow. That's yeah. early, early. I, I thought I thought I was pretty badass at like ninety three. <laughs> well, but yeah, ninety three is pretty early. But in the in the early, I remember um, in like around ninety, I started getting into into news groups yeah. and connecting to people that way. And then you could also, because I was directing at that time, you could use it to like the internet was a really great research resource even back then. Right. So I would use it to like move like QuickTime files if I was working on effects or something like that. We started using it for that stuff right away. How long did that take? Dude, it was it's la- <laughs> it's, it's laughable. Like what we would do like to move like a, you know, like a 143k file which oh, was like God. barely visible or you'd have your real player window up and it was like this I used those in the movie. There's I mean the movie is a lot of ugly aesthetic on purpose because the internet was really ugly back then. Yeah. And in night in the early 90s it was crazy ugly because it was just this gummy blob and you would be like, "Wow, look at that." A, a gummy Blob. I mean, it, it, the transfer rates were in like baud. Oh, I remember like, like trying to download a 10.9 megabyte file and like starting it at night, getting up in the morning for school and going, "Not ready yet." Oh uh, go. yeah, <laughs> the whole world was like that. If you yeah. were working on like NFX or something, if we were doing music videos or whatever, you, you'd, you'd render some tiny little stupid effect yeah. on like a guitar player. Like, I want to put some bl- and, like some gravel effect in his guitar. It's like, okay, you hit render and you leave for three days. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you come you, back. You really had to schedule. Your uh, <laughs> masturbation time. Oh, totally. Because yeah. yeah. you would go, okay, I'll start downloading in the morning. Yeah. Then I'll have dinner, and then at about mm. 8 o'clock, I'll be ready to Ooh, go. I yeah. can't yeah. wait. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the wrong file, and it's broken anyway. No! Yeah. Yeah. But if Tomorrow! You got, if you got just enough of it. Yep. That was the thing. I think that's Areola. Yeah. Oh, exactly. All right, back to scrambled porn oh, on yeah. television. It's exactly. just the Mr. Hand video again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> some of this is Jenna Jameson, some is Steven Seagal, but I'm going to go with it We're anyway. Not a- <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me nine hours. Yeah. As long as he I'm doesn't going talk, it's it. all right. I it's see the a right half. At I least. see a ponytail, yeah. so it could go either way. Ironically, his tits are bigger now. <laughs> hey, good. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Put it on the board, Matt. <laughs> yeah, and and even in just in in such a ridiculously short period of time now. I yeah. mean, like what watching watching Sean Parker say in. Maybe 2000, or maybe it was even like 99, um, when he said, uh, "Yeah, someday you know people will get their music on their phones. Like this is all going to be ubiquitous." And yeah, and and it was you know that was that was pretty pretty amazing to hear that. That's in- the, that's really the quote. I mean, even Parker was completely gobsmacked when he saw that quote. I played that at South by Southwest the year before last when we first showed a, a piece of the movie, and that was the first of the kid uh, the kids. They're not kids anymore. The first that Parker and Fanning saw of the movie was that clip. And it's pretty astounding because in 98, he basically lays out the world that we're living in today before iPhones, iPads, iTunes, anything. Um, and he's 19 years old and he barely knows what the hell he's talking about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you can so. tell when you hear these guys talk there. I, I think I think one of my favorite, I'm going to call him characters mm-hmm. uh, in the movie was the Nutella guy. Oh, Gene, he's the best. Gene Kahn was the best. Who is, uh, <laughs> when when Fanning's saying, or, or some, someone is saying, like, no one expected him to basically lay out this assault. Or maybe it was Fanning uh, yeah. uh, against that Senate subcommittee hearing. Yeah. And all, all of his words are very much like, you're all going down in flame. Yeah. But he talks very fast like this and in this monotone voice. <laughs> and so it's almost like hearing, it's almost like hearing a, ro- a, like, like, like a machine get really passionate. Exactly, yeah. But he, he never changes the tone of his voice. I know, it's and amazing. And there's no punctuation in his yeah. sentence. Yeah, he just proclaims the apocalypse yeah. in this really <laughs> even tone and then walks away. And of course he was 100% correct. Yeah. He's that guy, he was the Mac Daddy. He was an amazing dude. But all those guys, like it, it all, you know, is. It, do, do you feel like the film 
um, do you feel like it's balanced in the sense that it, do you do you go well? Look, these these are all the f- this is what happened as, mm-hmm. as as well as I could put it together, and you guys decide whatever you think is right or wrong. Or do you feel like the film kind of has a, a point of view? Um, I mean, I really tried to not create too much of a of a point of view because you know my opinion has honestly changed so many times. Like a hu- one person's opinion, whether they admit it or not, changes a lot. Yeah. You know, so I didn't want to be like, hey, I did not want to be the arbiter for the digital revolution. I don't really want that responsibility. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but I also, because I, you know, grew up making music videos and, you know, being in- involved with a lot of bands and stuff, I had a lot of sympathy for the record industry and a lot of really close friends in the record industry. And the thing that I wanted to show with the movie that was, that was you know, some people call it even-handed or whatever, but for me, it's really simple. Innovation comes and it, evolutionarily, meaning it's going to come in, in waves, right? So, like... Fanning and Parker are like the Matola of their day. Sure. Like Donnie Einer, yeah. Seymour Stein, and Chris Blackwell, who were the three label guys I focused on, were the geniuses in their, you know, or late twenties, late teens, early twenties, and did incredible things to create the record industry that we have today. Um, so there's a lot of sim- I mean, very much so Parker and Fanning are gonna be the establishment that are being overturned in 10 to 20, well, the way the world works now could be five months from now, but you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I just kind of wanted to show that innovation happens and it impacts people, and it doesn't mean that, I mean, I think it's wrong. One thing I will say, and I tried to show this, I think it is, Lessig makes his point really well, and so does Barlow. I think it's wrong to villainize a generation, you know, for using technology the way that, that it's, it's there to use. And you can't personify technological revolution. You can't say, it's all Sean Parker's fault that we doubt. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, this is the way technology was moving. It would have been someone else if it wasn't him. This is the world we live in. Right. And everyone gets up, uprooted by innovation. They always do. I mean, yeah. so that's, it's unfair to like, you know, to, to criminalize our kids today and like brand them all as pirates when mostly they're just like, oh, this is really cool. If you come up with a way for me to pay for this, I'll totally use it. Well, Otherwise, I'm going to do it the, the other way. It is, it was kind of, it's kind of fun to watch like the Ninth Circuit Court judge, who I gave a lot of credit to for being pretty savvy, but saying to the recording industry guy, wait, so none of th- these Napsters not storing any of the music. They're not touching any of it. And the guy was like, well, uh, no, <laughs> but I mean, but this music is being pirated. And he yeah. was like, yeah, but they're not. Yeah. It's, he goes, it's user to user, right? Yeah. Yes, but, uh, you know, and so yeah. and just trying, it was clear, like, the rec- it basically, they were trying to punch a ghost. They were trying to punch a cloud. Yeah. It's like they were angry that this thing was happening, that these guys had sort of facilitated this revolution, but... From you know, from a legal standpoint, they weren't re- they weren't sharing any of the music. They were just making they were just connecting people to share music one another. Yeah, they just I mean the labels you know on a certain level, and you understand why they just wanted the whole damn internet to go away. <laughs> I mean, really, if you boil down their legal defense, that was it. Just please go away, all you internet stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think we still live with some of that. I think we still live with a lot of ignorance about how these technologies work and the way that people, not to say you shouldn't legislate and you shouldn't create a monetizable system that doesn't, you know, artists need to get compensated. That's a really, really important issue today, right? Um, but you can't legislate technology away. It's well, impossible. But 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 even a lot of the um, you know, even a lot of the artists who were in the traditional in the traditional model still didn't make you know, like they still didn't make money from a single. The percent you're right. The percentages, I mean, no matter what you want to say, the record industry stood to lose a lot of money in terms of the difference between the way they made money off CDs and the way they were going to make money off the one dollar single, though they're beginning to figure that out now. 
the artists percentage wise have always the percent of, art, of artists that makes money a lot of money making music hasn't really changed it's always been a very small percentage it wasn't like before napster if you were a musician you were going to get really rich right no matter what yeah. <laughs> you know it just wasn't there was always a very small percentage you made it because because if you got an advance then a lot of times you spent the, a good portion of your <laughs> life yeah paying that you back. were an indentured yeah. servant you really you really yeah. were and and so uh so i i still think some form of that model is still intact which is you know people find out about i mean that's really that's the basis of what we do here is was founded in that which is hey the you know the show's free if we perform live Come see us, and then that supports the show, which right. is where you know. Yeah. And before the artists were like, "Oh well, the label is helping facilitate getting it in front of people on the limited channels that were available." Yeah. But now we can just go straight to people and go, "Here's a free thing. Come see us live." Yeah. The intermi- the the intermediary being sort of squeezed out of the process, which they don't need to be. There's there's plenty of room for them once they understand how to work within the new paradigm. You know that's that was a very that's the big seismic shift, right? Suddenly the the internet democratized everything, and everyone just went, "Oh crap!" You know, what are we going to do? <laughs> From the government to the record industry, the movie industry, everyone just like had a complete panic attack, right? And they're still having a panic attack. I mean, literally <laughs> across know. every sector. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mass panic. You know, it's certainly not gotten more calm. It's gotten. Less, I mean, that was the one thing people asked me, like, you know what? What did you learn making the movie since you'd been around the story for so long? I think the one thing that was surprising to me was how completely pissed off everybody still was. And also how little a lot of people had learned yeah. in the intervening years. Well, I'm sure you're gonna, and you may have gotten this question a bunch, but I, I just imagine like some slick reporter who thinks he's gonna nail you. All right, Alex, tell me this: What if someone downloaded this movie for free? Every, Every freaking Q and A. There's always that. I call him that guy. And I think they're expecting you to yeah. be like, well, "Oh no, well, what am I getting? Oh, oh, well, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. hey, the press conference is over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, flip the entire long flip, table. Yeah. There's always some smirking a-hole in the back of every Q&A <laughs> that I've done, and I've done many, who's like, yeah, it's, like, it's like young Where Frankenstein. Where can I download but, this for free? Yeah. But Mr. Frankenstein, isn't yeah. it true? Isn't it true? Yeah. It's pronounced Frankenstein. Yeah. And, uh, then I, and then I hit them with like a 40-minute answer about Creative Commons law, which bores the shit out of them, and then I never get that question again. <laughs> because like we, we don't live in 2003 anymore. It's like, yes, this movie will be streaming. Yes, you'll be able to effectively get it for free but guess what there will be ad revenue and people will be paid back and, they are blah, 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 and they're just like oh why did i ask that question i also really i also I mean, we don't live in that world anymore the torrenting community is is a fraction of the consumer community in this day and, and i and i really do feel that that if people are a fan of something that they i think there's i think there is a little something about humanity that you feel a little weird just taking stuff for free i mean maybe maybe disposable stuff where you're like oh i'll just download that cuz it's there but, you know, like when we do shows, people bring us things. We People offer to pay for episodes a lot of the yeah. time because they want to. And we're like, no, no, no you don't, it's totally fine. You don't have to do that. So I really do believe that, by and large, if people are fans of something, I know I will I will choose the pay option when I have it yeah. to support, you know. And I, and I really feel like that, that I mean, I think I think good does sort of bubble up in that in that instance. Without it, I mean, look, you know, there's a lot of people that, that don't agree with this. But from from my perspective as a downloader and as someone who used those services, like what I saw happening in 2002, I remember saying this to Fanny when I met him, when everyone was saying, branding them as pirates. It was like, you guys just created an incredibly convenient service. The consumer is always going to use the most convenient service. Yeah. That doesn't mean the consumer are thieves. That was the thing that, that I 
I think a lot of people on the other side never got. And that's the thing that Steve Jobs always got, which is the reason he was able to swoop in and claim 85% market share for all downloadable music, because he knew the consumer wasn't inherently thieves. He knew that they would pay for convenience. You give them something that's as cool as a thing that they're getting for free, and guess what? They're going to pay for it. I do miss my Winamp skins. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You still get those. Yeah, but you can make those now for those sort of retro guys like us, you know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a flash site you can just do. Yeah, I still watch everything on my real player. (laughs) Wow. That installer still launches every time. I go on to Netscape. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think that I think that the it's all, it's all starting to monetize. People are starting to get with the program. There's just a lot of anger that I think, frankly, at the end of the day, that the people, without any oversight from the from the business or the government communities, were able to come in and do this without anybody being able to stop. Well, it. what's what's you know I think what artists have to remember is that while you know this, like you said, democratized everything, and and so we as artists are more empowered. I think what some people maybe don't realize is that that the the well good or bad depending on how you look at it but the what comes with that is the responsibility as the artist to basically do the same job that a label would do or a promotional machine is it's now it's on you as the artist to like all right hey, if you want this power great but now you have all this responsibility yeah. so you know it's a, kind of a pain in the ass but you know but then you'll get your you know the you get to own your own stuff yeah or the and the labels also you know really beginning to step up to the plate and and figure out ways to work with the internet which they have so that artists can get support and use the internet i think someone like adele is a really good example of that like you know where the music is good they did come kind of come out of nowhere then they sort of got help from a label. Then they really broke. I think there's there's really it doesn't have to be so divided. I mean that's the thing that seemed obvious to me back then was like why you know it sounds very you know tree huggery, but like why don't you guys just all like work together, right? <laughs> you know, and like create a system together moving forward, and it actually can work for everyone because art labels are to their credit really good at artist development. They are. They always have been. They can screw artists. They can also be really good at developing artists. Like yeah. I don't think we would have had Bob Dylan without the the support that he had Bruce Springsteen. You think about some of the really biggest artists that seem so independent, and they always had this massive artillery behind them that was really good at crafting them through yeah. all of the BS they had to get through. Well, it's just now there's so many cha- there's so many channels. It's a it's a garbage dump, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I got kids, you know, and like my 14 year old's like, I don't know what to listen to. I'm just like, he ends up gravitating towards older good stuff because he knows it's good. Yeah. He like he doesn't yeah. listen to anything post like like he's always listening to Nirvana. Like that's like as new as it gets for him and i'm just like have you not heard of anything post like 1995 <laughs> you know he's like yeah but this is classic this is great and he's just he doesn't know classic this very, nirvana's classic yeah. rock dude for, for, yeah it's uh, it it's really sad. is classic it's, rock it's sad but true but yeah. it's like he doesn't sad but true classic, classic rock, rock. <laughs> <laughs> i mean kind of what you guys do it's like it's we're getting into this world now where people are beginning to curate yeah. Or like you know you like to go here or to yeah. go to this place or that place to get some your arms around this like catawall of crap that's out there. Yeah, I'm just but. worried. I mean like I I I do appreciate the idea and I, and of course as someone who loves technology, I do I do appreciate the idea of the algorithmic re- recommendation engine. But part of it makes me sad because I feel like Oh, but you're—they're just telling you stuff that you—they know you would probably like, and you're so you're missing that—that that human component of someone going, "Hey, here's something you probably never would have listened to that is so far out there, but you should totally listen to this." Well, yeah. what I what I don't like about the algorithm thing, just like if you like this and this, it, it's it's mechanical. All it is is just kind of breaking down the aspects of it. it's like it's this fuzzy, it's this screamy, it's this quiet, it's this pretty, you know. 
but it doesn't like you know but bands like that i listen to don't often sound the same yeah. sometimes they do and that's what i always enjoyed about myspace music when it kind of became a thing is that you would have a band that you liked you would go listen you go to their page and then you would have there would have the top eight and these weren't bands that sounded like them these are bands that they also liked and had right. a, a similar like aesthetic and style that didn't necessarily mean music and that's what that's what's missing that's the human element i think that's missing but from that's a lot like of stuff. there's i think there's a lot of stuff that's that's uh um really short transitional stuff that we're living in like you know neil young is there's a bunch of artists that are out there really griping about the sound quality of of downloading mm -hmm. which is like such a blip in the radar of history right because i mean around the corner is going to be wave file sized music tracks that your average joke and broad you know has yeah. a big enough broadband to pull down very quickly and it'll sound way better than a cd ever sounded that's around the corner i mean i think that a lot of these new services like spotify that are, that are imperfect but certainly way better than what we had before are beginning to create ways for artists to interact directly. Like what's so cool once it works is artists can interact directly with their fans in a way they never could before. So you can, the, the curation models that are coming, I think are going to be amazing. Like yeah. once that starts to get built into the architecture of the net more and people really get more accustomed to using it. Yeah. Cause it's like, I love being, I have so much more interaction with my fan base. That's like what helped us get like, you know, the, it, the freak re-released or like all the stuff that we've done has been done like a lot of times with our fans you know, back in the day, it was like just it was just, you were in a vacuum mm. and you never had any interaction with anybody. And you just kind of kind of guess your way through it. And I do like that. That's yeah, that's what I like about Bandcamp. I think that's one of the better uh, music sites coming up is that, you know, bands could just start their own page. You can stream whatever they put up there and then you have the option to buy it. But then on top of that, when you buy it, they get your email and you could they could easily just send you an email going, thanks for buying our stuff. And then you kind of there's a more of a personal interaction with it. And they also have links to like bands they think you should check out if you like their stuff. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think Bandcamp is the one that's going to be kind of popping up if they just kind of get a better on UI. Bandcamp. Can you build um can you build like a homepage for yourself and like here's a bunch of music that I'm listening to and can people follow you and see no that's the thing about the UI that's, I think it, it needs to be because that, that, that's uh, like that RDO element friendly. Mm -hmm. yeah like, that's what I love about RDO right and RDO is like and that's the thing it's a streaming service that's helped me buy more music if I really like something I'm listening to on RDO that I found I go and I get the record on vinyl right you know it's like it's it, it I think all the streaming stuff is going to actually help people buy more. I have all of them. I, I, I do tend to fall back on Pandora a lot because I feel like it's the simplest. Mm -hmm. Spotify I like, but there are so many different elements. It's like, oh, well, you can search one song, but then you can just listen to that song. Well, then you can build a station around this, but then you can, like, yeah. it, it's like there, there, there's, there, are a, there are a lot of options with Spotify, which obviously is probably good for the consumer, but at the same time, when you're kind of in the hurry, you just want to, like, oh, I just want to hit it, you know. Yeah. For me, I like, I mean, I, I like Pandora and Spotify the best. And when I first, Spotify, maybe because I'm used to the old way of, of music, it's just like, I want to be able to pull an album down. Yeah. And I like being able to go, okay, here's the whole thing, wham, send it across, now I've just got that in my playlist and I'm done. And I can use it both as like a single music service or a radio or like for whole albums. It tends to work that way. I just, the thing that I miss is curation. You know, yeah. I missed exactly what you were saying. I missed the fact that, that I'd like to, I'm not going to get turned on to new music by a bot. I just, yeah. It hardly ever happens. It's like, you know, if you build, you know, just to use a really obtuse example, if you build like a Smith's channel, you want to hear some old stuff, and you do that as radio, it's like they're going to they're gonna give you that and the cure and mm -hmm. that and the cure and that and the cure yeah. and that and the cure until you want to <laughs> blow your head off. Well, maybe <laughs> some of like, Morrissey's solo work. Yeah, and then, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's like, it's so like completely arbitrary and, and annoying 
Um, it just becomes annoying, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I just want I want someone to come on and go, no, check this out. This is like left of center, but at least tangentially. It, yeah. it, it does take some of the magic out of it when they're like, <laughs> it's a little bit of midichlorians when they're like, you chose this song because it has dark tones yeah. And, yeah. and starts on the downbeat yeah. and has yeah. a four count. You know, yeah. like, oh, I don't want to know yeah, all that. These exactly. lyrics suck. This guy is the worst. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like there's something to, uh, you know, just, you know, like when, when like Nirvana came out, then like you read an interview of Kurt Cobain, and he's like, he just says the Melvins, Black Flag, and you right. go, well, now I want to know about those bands. They don't right. sound like Nirvana, but like yeah. you want to go and check them out. Totally. That's the same thing about going to a record store. Uh, you're buying something. Guys, like, oh, you like these guys? Well, mm-hmm. you gotta check out this band. Yeah, like, these are the guys that came before. And them. And old labels like SST or some of the original yeah. labels that were, you know, had a pretty varied, you know, selection of music, but it all fit within some kind of window. But you wouldn't necessarily draw those exactly. Yeah, yourself. Black Flag to Lemonheads or right. something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where did you, what What did you, did you want to do, be an actor first, or did you want to be a director first? Or uh, what no, was director, really. I mean, I started acting, I was a child actor, so I was on Broadway all through my, and commercials and stuff all through my childhood. I started acting when I was 10. I got my SAG card when I was 10. So, um, but I always wanted to just make films. So I went to NYU Film School after doing all of that. Like, I've quit acting like five times in my life. <laughs> you know, I've had like, you know, uh, I literally stopped acting for good when I was 16, the yeah. first time. Yeah. And uh, then I went to film school. Uh, I went to NYU, and I came out of NYU, and I moved to LA to make movies. And you know, I was like twenty, and so I was totally broke and yeah. in debt up to my butt. Um, and so I, you know, I still had a manager and agent. I was like, "Can I go on some auditions because I'm broke?" And then I booked like Lost Boys and Bill and Ted's like back to back. This is easy. And I was like, I was like living in this crappy apartment in Venice with my roommate from NYU, who was like, he was like delivering pizza, and I was like doing Lost Boys. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and, yeah, and that was Tom Stern, and we made the Idiot Box and Freak together, and all that stuff. So, well, like, so even in those acting days, I really was mostly shooting. Like, I would go. I never really had a Hollywood lifestyle. I always had like this kind of indie filmmaker lifestyle. I would go home from the set, and like, you know, we had a, a you know a Steenbeck in our apartment, and we were like making short movies and music videos, and um, and as soon as I could pay my rent without acting i stopped acting so i stopped acting oh wow i stopped acting professionally in 93 wow hmm. well i know that a lot of times uh you know because we are lost boys and bill intense fans that's what i always like to go up to santa cruz for those big saxophone rock concerts yeah that, and uh, like oil down your chest yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. all the kids uh, yeah every summer i go and see him. yeah well that lost boys is one of the first sort of documentary yep you know feature we're, films we're about really... the youth movement yeah. the youth of the day <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> who loved eating maggots yeah yeah, yeah. And, yep. uh, and had hair extensions and two yeah. more chaps <laughs> and um, had like plastic squids coming off their shoulders. I mean, there was there was a lot, yeah. you know, a lot. It was, it was very method movie for us. We just kind of brought a lot of ourselves. Yeah, you know, a lot of young men had yeah. Rob Lowe posters in their room. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. it was very accurate to yeah. what we were all doing yeah. at the time. Comic yeah. book store at the boardwalk makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right next to the bumper cars, I see it every day. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I mean, you know, like well, obviously. <laughs> Lost Boys was great. I mean, you know, Bill and Ted is one of those movies that, like, when I saw it, I was just exactly the right age for it. I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And then it wasn't until a bit later where um, I completely appreciated on the second level for the Doctor Who connection. Yeah. Uh, which obviously, because I think 
Um, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. Yep, that's um, very well done. I, I believe that um, they were. I, I went to UCLA and I was in mm-hmm. this thing called the UCLA Comedy Club, which right. was a group of stand-up comedians. Yeah, and I think Chris and Ed maybe were. They did. Yes, they were like a few, like few, uh, se- a few years prior. Mm-hmm. So they were the guys that sort of came out and then like they fucking wrote Bill and Ted's. Yeah, and it grew. It grew out of that comedy group because uh, Bill and Ted started as a stand-up routine that Chris and Ed used to do at college at UCLA. Oh shit, that I and, did not know. Yeah, and um, and they played Bill and Ted, and then they would sort of tour around playing the characters, and then they wrote a script riffing off of it, and then. Uh, and then we made the movie. So it was, uh, yeah, it grew out of, well, I think that's one of the things people ask me all the time, like why people still like the movies, like what makes a movie stand the test of time. And A, nobody knows, obviously. (laughs) But like the one thing with those movies that I think stands, you know, has, gives it some longevity is that it was written by two really close friends and it's played by two really close friends. And there's like a genuine camaraderie to it that is, has a kind of infectious quality because it's sincere. Yeah. And none of us thought the films were going to go anywhere at all. <laughs> like they weren't some big studio movies. They were both independent movies. Neither, no. You know, so. And I would imagine most of the stuff you're shooting where you're like, <laughs> like <laughs> who is going to watch this ridiculousness? Totally. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I mean, they were enormous amounts of fun for that reason because they were just like, everybody were, re- we were all really good friends and we just kind of like did whatever the hell we wanted. And there were <laughs> literally less than no expectations. <laughs> about, about where it was going. So yeah, kids, lower your expectations. That's it. That's it. Well, I think it's okay to lower your expectations as long fun. as you're having fun. Yeah, yeah. as long as you're having. So were you? Did uh, what was it? A, a pretty formal audition process, or did you? It was a crazy. Fu- it was a. It was like auditioning for the Olympics. Like I'd been, like I said, I'd been around a long time by then. But like the reason Keanu and I became such good friends was that it took so freaking long for us to get cast. Yeah. That we were like bonded at the hip. Oh, so you guys were just auditioning together. Auditioning, over and auditioning, 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 and we were paired off with like every other actor. And it went on for months. And then like it was, it was ridiculous. And then like the last audition was like. It was sort of like the, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Oh, right. It was kind of like, you know, dancing in the marathons during the Depression. Like, the last <laughs> audition was like 13 hours long, and they literally brought everyone in, and they would let them go as they realized they weren't going to be Bill or Ted. Oh. And I was like, what the fuck is oh this, guys? God. And like, by like two in the morning, it was like, me and Reeves were like, kind of like, wobbling on our legs. Like, excellent. <laughs> awesome. Doodle doodle doodle. You got yeah. the jobs because you were the last one standing. <laughs> We were, the, we were the last men standing. That was it. Well, I guess we cut everyone else. Uh, yeah. Well, we start shooting tomorrow. Yeah, it's like, oh, I wonder who they're casting. It's like, if they'd have cast someone else by then, it just would have been cruel and unusual <laughs> punishment. But it, uh, um, my, my best friend from high school actually storyboarded Bogus Journey, which when he was working on it, he had this placard in his, because he was, he, I went to college and he didn't go to college and he be, ended up becoming like one of the biggest storyboard artists in the film industry and that was one of his first movies. And I remember there was a placard on his, uh, Car that was Bill and Ted go to hell. Yeah, that was and our then, title. For and then year. they made them. Then at the last minute, they're like, "Nah, you can't. You can't." Say no, they go changed to hell. it from Bill and Ted go to hell to Bill and Ted's BJ, which I thought was <laughs> awesome. And, and, and believe me, we understood that when we changed the title. So, and then he was so he was pointing out all these these Easter eggs, like when yeah. they're uh, w- when they're having the seance. And it's, I think that's Ed and Chris. It in is, there. yeah, yeah. And uh, like Denomalos is Ed Solomon's name backwards. Yeah. Oh wow! And then, and then one of the chants, I think, was some their names or something, yeah. something weird like yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. That's all right. Yep. Oh, yeah, there's a ton awesome. of crazy stuff in that movie. It wasn't like Station. It just came out of like a delirious like rewrite or something like that. Yeah, that was one of the biggest, biggest. I mean, <laughs> these are really close friends. This was one of the biggest disputes we ever had. Was like, I remember reading the script for the first time, and it was great. 
Um, we put a lot of work into it, and and then call me just like guys. Station isn't. It just isn't funny. <laughs> it's just like there there are words that if you repeat them enough are funny. Yeah. Station is not one of them. <laughs> and and uh, you know, and then I remember Ed. I don't remember whether it was recently or a while ago. It was like, you know, you were right about Station, but I wasn't right about Station. People love Station. Because like, I get more yeah. people coming up to me telling me how much they love. There's, like, bands named Station. So I was completely wrong. But uh, luckily, I wasn't one of those actors who was like, I'm not doing this in Shane's <laughs> You take that name, name Station out. I'm not showing up. <laughs> those, really, those, little, those little butt aliens? Yeah. They're going to fucking do that. Exactly. Uh, was the second one as much as fun as the first one? Yeah, it was, it was because there was a little bit of, of validation because the first one had come out and, you know, we had that we had a lot more um not creative control it's not like we didn't have it on the first one but it was just like let's just make let's just make the weirdest most far out possible sequel we can that was kind of our it wasn't like let's be safe and like see if we can make a back to the future franchise like let's blow this shit up sure. <laughs> let's just let's just like stick dynamite in it and explode it because at that point so, people with the with a, with a few major exceptions people weren't really doing trilogies yeah i mean so i mean like with the you know obviously with like godfather and star wars i mean like the, the, there were trilogies but yeah. it wasn't like now studios do think in trilogies. Oh, completely. Yeah, there wasn't a franchise mentality in those days, and it wasn't like it was before actors were being paid fifty million dollars a movie. So it was like we got paid five bucks for the first one, and we got like five seventy-five for the second one. <laughs> nice bump. It was. Yeah. We fought hard for that. <laughs> nice. But I did. I, you know, I did walk away a couple times. But um, uh, the reality of it was, was that we just we just all went into it going, let's just make something nuts. Let's just go nuts. And so yeah, it was enormous fun. And then also. You know, having Billy Sadler's death and just like yeah. getting to set for the for that <laughs> sequence and watching him do his thing, it was like we all were like, "Shit, why didn't we write the whole movie about this?" Yeah, guy? <laughs> yeah. it's that's like a great character. Yeah, he's so good, and he was he but, was great in it. But like, really great. Like Joss Ackland was a, was he's fucking, great. Was fucking awesome he, too. Yeah, but. he hated every minute of it, but he was because <laughs> yeah. he had come off uh, Lethal Weapon Lethal too, Weapon too, and he was like this big Shakespeare actor. I mean, yeah. he was just miserable. And he being was, in these weird these yeah, weird future platform clothes. shoes. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was it was all a blast. You know, and not being able to play ourselves as villains was fun it was oh, great yeah, yeah it was great and so are there uh is there gonna be i keep hearing like there is gonna be another one it's gonna be those guys no it's gonna be new guys no it's not happening now like <laughs> they, i always feel like i hear it's always in some stage of a cycle of it's happening no it's not happening yeah well i mean here's the reality of it it's just like we we kicked the idea around for a long time we always kick ideas like so, sort of how the whole thing came about even for chris and that it was just like wacky ideas that they kicked around that then became a movie then the second one was suddenly now they were stuck with me and reeves and the four of us were kicking shit around and that became the second movie and for like the last 20 years, like whenever we're hanging out, we just kick ideas around. And then eventually we just hit one that we all thought was, we were like, oh, we should actually do this. This is great. And so um, we, we came up with a story. They went off and started working on a script. And then that kind of got leaked, which is fair enough. And like, and so we had to start talking about it because it's like downloaded. Yeah, the the internet being what it is, it's like you kind of are damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's sure. like it's like if you say nothing, then then the trolls just like destroy you. Yeah, it's like, we know this is happening. You're a scumbag. Why would you? <laughs> you know. And then if you say something, they're like, yeah, but it's not happening. So why did you say something and it's not? I'm just like, oh, whatever, guys. So come it's, on, you know, it's <laughs> like so you can't really do anything other than just 
induct people into the tedium that is getting a movie made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like the yes, no, up, down. That's welcome to show business. That's how it works. Yeah. So it's like, we're, you know, download it took me 11 years to get made. So now you're wow. stuck on the ride with us for Bill and Ted 3. <laughs> you asked for it. Now you're on the ride. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's right. It goes up. It goes down. We're making it. Then we're not. It's these guys. Then it's those guys. Welcome to the movie business. Is it? Is so it, maybe we'll make it one day. Is hopefully. it attached to a studio or is it just the development? Um, it's develop? just a, we're just developing it on our own. You know, we have a blessing from the studio that owns it to develop it. And if we can put all the ducks in a row in a way that everyone loves it, we will get it made. And that's that's all there is to it. Other than that, we're working on it. But it, it is a phenomenal script. The guy, I mean, Chris and Ed wrote it. It's it's amazing. And if at some point we can't get it made, I will upload the PDF to the internet. So are you gonna direct it if it goes? No, I don't want to direct it. I mean we bandied that about, but like I know this sounds ludicrous, but it's actually it's not terribly easy playing Bill because <laughs> he's a, he's in every single scene. All, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the and like the thing one thing I learned about on Freaked, even though I didn't direct that by myself, Tom, Tom Stern was had enormous amount of work to do and he's a brilliant director. But um, even that, even co-directing Freaked was like, almost killed me, and I was 25. You know, yeah. and I and that was you know more than two or three months ago. Well, plus he had so much prosthetics on. Too. Oh, well, it was like four hours in, two hours out every yeah. day, and then and there's a lot of prosthetics in this one if we make it. So it's um I can't. There's just no way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I want I want to know about like when you guys how it came about that you got to do a sketch show for MTV. Like with Tom, oh, I, really? I worked. I worked with Tom uh, twice. I wrote on the Annie Milanaka show, oh, cool. season two, and then I uh, I was a couple of the mole men and Saul of the mole men. Oh, I did one of those voices. Yeah, too. you were the I king, was king of mole, mole men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was Clancy. Oh, oh Clancy, not that the was voice, great. just the body. All right. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, so yeah, so me and Stern, we went to NYU together, and we made a bunch of short films together, and we hooked up with Sam Raimi when we came out of NYU based on our senior project, this crazy movie called Squeal of Death, and. Uh, and Sam and his partner tried to uh, get movies off the ground for us, and, and nobody was interested. Um, and we made very, very weird, irreverent stuff. And this was pre-South Park and Tim Burton and all this. So there was just no room in the marketplace. We were, everyone looked at us like we were space aliens. <laughs> and then Bill and Ted did well. And MTV called me into their offices, and I'd done a bunch of stuff for MTV um, for years, like, you know, off-site type film stuff. And they were like, do you want to guest VJ as Bill? And I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine anything worse, frankly. But thank you for asking me for a job. And how about, we've got this script that Sam Raimi's been trying to get made with no luck. It was an anthology comedy that nobody was interested in. So we converted that into The Idiot Box. Oh, wow. And they basically had never really done live action before. So they just said, here's less than $1.50, but you can do whatever <laughs> you want. So we had cr complete creative control. It was like the most fun I ever had. Yeah, so, I can't imagine the flying gimp getting through. Yeah, it was super violent. What year was that? 91. Oh, yeah, that's when they were still, yeah, yeah. It was liquid television. It yeah, was like, yeah. there was nothing live action on MTV. And we were literally given complete free reign. Well, that's like, that, that, that lasted, I think, about, that that sort of era of freedom lasted probably like ten or twelve years because you know Weird Al was saying when he would do Al TV they would go just give us four hours of programming and he so, would just go make something and just hand them the tapes and they'd be like thanks like no one <laughs> yeah. checked was anything like, yeah. there was no S and P like yeah. there's no standards of practices like the shit we were doing was totally insane and then they gave that VJ slot to Pauly Shore and that became totally Pauly oh wow. oh shit so that's what happened and um and we ended up doing the Idiot Box and then they came to us to do a season two and they literally honestly they, I don't think they actually paid us anything so we were like losing money to make it and we were like we can't physically afford to do another season um so we turned that into freaked and that became freaked 
Wow. So Freaked right. was basically like an idiot box movie. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. And by then Hollywood woke up to what we were doing and stopped us in our track. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, they were, somebody woke up somewhere yeah. who smokes big cigars and were like, what the right, right, squash? Yeah, yeah. Who let that through? <laughs> what the hell is oh my goodness. Did you feel so you felt did you really feel that way though? Literally did you actually feel that way? Like that Hollywood was like, wait a minute. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, same thing happened with Freaked, where like I think they thought because I was in it and Keanu was in it, even though he's covered in hair, that they were somehow gonna get a Bill and Ted style movie. And we were what we were doing was completely off the rails. And it was like Mad Magazine meets R. Crumb meets, you know, yeah. whatever, Zap Comics and and uh the sort of acid-fueled psychedelic comedy. Um, it was basically a, an expensive cult movie, and we wrote it originally with the Butthole Surfers to do as a low-budget rock horror movie. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how we wrote it with Gibby Haynes. The original Freak, <laughs> Freak, was, was, a, Freak was originally written with Gibby, and it was for, written for the Buttholes, and we'd done a bunch of short films for the Butthole Surfers in those days. And we tried to get it made as like a $250,000, like Corman-style, you know, rock horror movie. Yeah. And everyone said no, so we repitched it to the heads of Fox, and it got eleven million dollars. <laughs> oh my God! In, in, in like ninety in, in two, it was a lot wow. of money. It was a lot of money. We were twenty five years old, and we and again we were just given complete creative free reign. So that's probably like I don't know what thirty or forty million dollars. Yeah, now? exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it was a total psychedelic cult movie. And eventually, you know, somebody there woke up and was like, "What in God's name are we doing?" And it was like, you know, it was the era when Rupert Murdoch was trying to make more family friendly fare mm -hmm. at Fox. So I think somebody was like, "Oh crap, we have to stop this immediately." Sure. So that's crazy. Know. And then after, so coming off that project, did you feel it's kind of like ah fuck? Well, the jig's up. Or do you did you feel like well I don't know I'll figure this out? Still. Oh, not at all. I mean, the thing was is like Tom and I had been working together for nine years by then, so it was like we kind of both wanted to go do other stuff. So it was like, even during Freak, before that whole debacle happened, we were like, you know, this is like the apotheosis of the crazy stuff we do together, which had mostly been underground short films. So we'd never had this sort of, you know, agenda to kind of try to take it. We knew our stuff was too irreverent, that style, to do anything mainstream with. So for me, I wanted to like go and just work on my, I was really young. I wanted to go and just work on my writing and my directing. I started a commercial production company and started writing scripts and developing my voices on my own. Wow, so, no, it was it was actually a fantastic training ground. It was it was awesome. So no wonder that with the advent of the internet, you were just probably salivating like this is my home. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. I, I belong. I understand you people, <laughs> and you understand me. You can flame me. I like you. <laughs> I like being flamed. <laughs> sitting alone, naked, just smearing exactly. poop. I like it. I love the internet. I am home. Uh, so what? Uh, uh, how much stuff now do you do? Do you do stuff online like as? Like, do you sort of have like a pseudonym, or do you make stuff like secretly? That no, you I mean, it I no, I mean, I I work mostly in mainstream. I mean, I do a lot of TV commercials. Yeah, and I direct a lot of TV and a lot of different stuff. And um, there's still money in TV commercials. Yeah, there is. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of money in TV commercials, and there's great stuff going on in TV. And I yeah. write TV shows, and and there's really great stuff. There's creatively, that's a great terrain. That's mostly where I'm at in terms of you know the day in day out. Uh, the Annette, I you, I mean, I'm a big believer. The one thing I never liked about celebrity for myself was I like I don't like uh, the isolation. You know, I like writing subways. I like interacting with fans directly. So I'm completely open on the Internet, like whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I'm like people come to me like, oh, how do I find you? I'm like, well, why don't you just type in my name and then, <laughs> you know, and then send me an email. Oh, my God. You and Keanu yeah. could not have taken more opposite. <laughs> exactly. In that sense. So like I'm not I just don't I don't like the disconnect. It's, I don't feel I've never felt comfortable with it. I like sort of just being in the trenches. Do, so. you, do, you, do you ever talk to him? And you're like, I'm riding a subway. And he's like, yeah, this isn't so great for me. <laughs> 
picture. It was yeah. like the sad Keanu meme. Like, yeah. oh, a guy can't even fucking sit down on a oh, bench. Yeah. Well, eat we, a sandwich. To, to be fair, I mean, he's he's of all the, and maybe it's one of the reasons that we stayed close friends for so long. I mean, he's basically like my brother. He's one of my very best friends, and we go we go all over the place together. And it actually isn't as bad as you would think because he's pretty uh, accessible in yeah. person. Um, he's one of the only actors of that stature I know quite a few that are though. I mean, usually you you get turned into Princess Di, and like your life is totally you know this bu- weird bubble. You have no idea what the hell's going on, right? And you have your handlers to rely on. But Reeves is not like that, and like. It's funny because I think I, I forced him to tell the story on Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not sure how happy he was because Jimmy's a friend. I was like, "Make Keanu tell you the Halloween story if he comes on." <laughs> and he made him tell it. But the but we were at a restaurant and we, we walked into a restaurant in the West Village together a few years ago and forgot it was Halloween. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we walked in at like two in the afternoon, like to have a long lunch, and we just sat there and ate for like six hours. And when we came out, we were in the middle, in the uh-huh. middle of the Halloween parade, like surrounded by forty thousand fucking people. <laughs> and like I was and for me, I was like, shit, what's gonna happen to Reeves? Like I felt bad, you know? And all that happened, nobody paid us any attention at all except for like one drunk guy who walked past and goes, Look, it's two old fat guys trying to be Bill and Ted. <laughs> and I'm that's not that's that the truth. <laughs> that is not I'm not making that up. That is verbatim. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> So there you have it. That's well, weird. I think uh, commercials are I find pretty interesting because it's an industry where you know people are like people are watching commercials. People are watching. Them. I go, yeah, but if they're good, yeah. people will watch them. Or people, you know, if people put up a, a good commercial online, then you know, like on YouTube, then people will pass it around. Like people just want to see good, funny things. Oh yeah, I mean, I that the whole idea of of internet killing ads and I think content in general is complete paranoia I think that unfortunately the inverse is going to happen where things are going to get so regulated that you're stuck watching ads in ways you may not want to online but it's all going to get it's going to be baked into the net just like it was baked into TV I don't think you know I just don't I, I just don't see pre-rolls being the wave of the future I see, you know <laughs> yeah. I don't see like a fucking a, you know when, when I <laughs> as impatient and, and I feel like I'm somewhat patient. Yeah. And I know most people are less patient. But to sit through a 30-second pre-roll ad on like a four-minute video that yeah, you're watching. Yeah, no, you have to find other ways to get the ads in. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying they'll be exactly the way TV yeah. was. For yeah. sure, they'll be different. But they're 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 thinking of creative ways to, to infuse content with advertising, and that's not going to go away. Right. I mean, it's it's. I think it's more branded content. I think it's or I think it's you know like Palm Olive presents the way TV started. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was it. They'll be. It's and that is absolutely that's happening. With that's how how we sold downloaded. I mean, like that's that's the way you know our movie's coming out. Um, it was really important for me for it to have a you know digital life. So it's coming out um, theatrically small. You know, art house theatrical iTunes CVOD, but then. AOL um, is is partnering up with VH1 and us, and we're doing a streaming rollout through AOL, which is really interesting, and uh, and that aggregates across all different kinds of portals. There's all different kinds of ways to see it that way. God, I still I still am that idea of you know pre-internet bubble bursting, where, where it's just the fact that Napster raised more than a hundred million dollars, but just didn't really have a revenue m- yeah. model. <laughs> we're like, well, I don't know. There's there's something here, you know, yeah. that that whole that time of the internet where people totally. are like, where they go, Ugh. you could reach the entire world, yeah, and then they do that flawed math. They go, all right, there's six billion people. If you could just get one percent of those people, the yeah. and you're like, yeah, it doesn't really work. But then the same thing happened with Twitter. Like, people never learn. 
Yeah. Then like 10 years later, it happened with Twitter. It was like, oh, this guy's got 4 million Twitter followers. Let's give him the movie. But nobody came. Where were his Twitter <laughs> followers? Yeah. If even a third of those people came to the movie, we would have made our money back. What yeah. happened? Yeah. I hate you know. hearing that. Like, I remember when I was working at uh, E, like, you'd pass by a door and you hear it's like, it's like, we have to cast him. You see how many Twitter followers he has? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like yeah. sunk down. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that worked for like five minutes. Yeah. 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 You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That was like, you know, for the amount of time that Comic Con was deciding which movies were being made. Yeah. Right. You remember that era? <laughs> it was oh, like, yeah. Whatever they say, yeah. whatever those Comic Con guys say, we got to do that. It was Scott Pilgrim that kind of took it out, right? Because I remember that was like the one they were like, "This is it. This is going to be huge at Comic Con. Then everyone's going to see it." And that, like, that year at Comic Con was and insane. And also, fuck you for not seeing that movie's amazing. It's a great movie. And, yeah. and that, that that year at Comic Con was insane because like the the the, we were, the, the, the hotel we were in, like the Bayfront, I think the Hilton, the, the, the Hilton, yeah. yeah. The, the entire, entire goddamn side of the building was Michael Sarah and the yeah, Scott Pilgrim. I remember that year, yeah. And I'm yeah. sure they must have just been like. You know, just like lions before a kill, they were like, yeah. guys, we are going to <laughs> yeah. be billionaires. Yeah. Let's yeah. drink up tonight because the battle's going to be easy tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sir, the, the first day reports are in. What's that now? Uh, sorry. <laughs> what happened? Not, I, I, must, I must be hungover. They I must, must have be been pirating it. That's <laughs> what it was. They pirated it. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> that, no, that's no, what no. killed Someone us. comes in and says, sir, the first day reports in. And he's like, all right, how much of a raise do I give the marketing department? Yeah. Let's uh, see. <laughs> fire the entire marketing <laughs> department. I guess I could bury a billion under a lake just to yeah. keep it there. Yeah, I told you we should have used Ashton Kutcher in the lead. <laughs> he's got four million Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did it again. But we're still sure Harry Potter hasn't turned a profit, right, bookkeepers? God. <laughs> oh, uh, I want to know. I want to know about uh, the the Gate remake. Uh, I have less to say on that because it's not in my hands at all. Oh, so okay. it's like the producer of the original Gate. I've been working with him, and and they're great people. They've made a lot of really big movies. But we're 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 develop we're concepting a remake that would be as sort of subversive as the first one was, yeah. but for kids. Um, well, the first one was for kids too. I love. I love. I do too. Game. I love I think the game. It's like a really yeah. underrated movie. Yeah, so. I love it too. And I love the. I love the sort of Amblin era of movies when they used to put kids in jeopardy. And 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 I've got boys, and I can tell you they like those movies. So yeah. like, I think Abrams had a lot of balls doing that with Super Eight. But there's hasn't been too many movies like that in the last twenty years. I think, I'd love to make one. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, Jordan Vogt Roberts movie that just came out, Kings of Summer. Kings of right. Summer. Uh, yeah. That like that has the Amblin era. Like, yeah. And he mentions that a lot too. Yeah. Just like you know, these kids are they're drinking beer, they're smoking yeah. cigarettes. They yeah. Get, like you know, they get hurt. It's, yeah. That's what it should be. And one that's kind of fantastic, one that's sort of like nightmarish the way Poltergeist or, you know, uh, some of those movies were in those days is something I, I would love to do. So yeah. hopefully they'll get the financing and I'll, I'll do it. But I'm I'm pretty busy on other stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I remember it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. This is a yeah. fucking great movie. And that's just right. all the practical effects are yeah, great. Yeah. And like, a, there's a like there's an awesome gif online that shows. Yeah, the, like, the minions turning into the, the dead workman. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. With oh. the foreground miniature work. Oh, and it's it's amazing. unbelievable. It's amazing. Well, that's Randy Cook who did Lord of the Rings. I mean, they had like, you know, for a three million dollar movie, they have like the greatest special effects minds working on. Yeah. It. So By cool. the way, I almost always, when I'm meaning to say Super Eight, I almost always go. So when Abrams did Eight Millimeter, like those are <laughs> two totally different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are not. Don't the send same. your fan base to that movie. <laughs> yeah. Thematically, yeah. I jerked off the same. Matthew, boo on both fronts. <laughs> boo on both fronts. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I remember when I, when I saw it, when I saw eight millimeter in the theater, it was. I don't think the intended reaction. There's a scene where uh, Nicolas Cage at the end just has a, he just has a breakdown because he just can't take it anymore. Yeah, he's just seen so much and he's gone through so much. That's where I climaxed. That's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where he goes, he has one of those no, where he's yeah. like. 
no! And yeah. he does that, and the fucking this in full theater, and it's like everyone just burst out laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think this is that's where the that in, not the intended that. reaction. Yeah, that was where that. And yet he has that reaction in every movie. Yeah. He's got it. Yeah. yeah, it's like Nicolas Cage making every choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No! yeah. Uh, so what do cool. you what do you what's next? What do you what do you want to? Um, I'm working on another doc, I'm building another documentary right now about uh, children and show business, ah. which is really fascinating. Something yeah. you know a little something bit I know a little bit about. Yeah, and so, uh, and by the way, good job for turning out normal. Like that <laughs> yeah. is a real. That's, yeah, that's this movie is kind of about why that you have a slim chance in hell of that happening. It's to you. pretty <laughs> crazy. Like when yeah. you when you really see like there's <laughs> there's almost uh, there's almost this. Uh, do you remember that uh, Harrison Bergeron story? Where it's like ev- everyone is basically equalized, and so people who are stronger are more like they're basically hobbled with all this weird stuff oh, to yeah, keep yeah, them. Yeah. So yeah. I-, I feel like as a child actor, you have all that stuff placed on you. Yeah. And if you can somehow shake it off and get through, yeah. then you- you're actually kind of a super person. Exactly. For, for-, for getting That's through it. that. That's it. It's sort of like a video, like the hardest video game in the world, and you're supposed to develop at the same time. Yes. So try to do both of those things. It's pretty. It's like juggling, you know, chainsaws and. Kitty I don't cabinets, know how it happens. You, know. you must but, have. Had, you must have had a good family. Well, that, 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 it takes. It takes a minute. But um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but that's yeah. That's what I'm working on. I'm working with the uh, the producers that did Undefeated, the yep. uh, the doc from yeah. a couple years ago, and uh, so I'm putting that together right now. I bet. I bet college helped. Like going to college probably helped. Yeah, and like you know having an interest. Like I, you know, for me, I always had an interest outside of of celebrity. So it wasn't. I was always. I was never really chasing that. Yeah. You know. So it was like I was grounded in other stuff. Um, like I, and I never, like I said, when even when I was doing those movies, I was like I had this sort of normal kind of like you know collegiate kind of home life. Where we were making stuff, and it was yeah. fairly normal. I feel so bad for Justin Bieber. I really do. Like he does. I do too. He doesn't yeah. know any better. Like yeah. when, when you're a kid and yeah. you're growing up, and for X number of years. It's very easy. Like no matter what you do, people are like, "That's the greatest thing ever." Exactly. And then yeah. at a certain point, they're like, "That's the worst thing ever." And you're yep. like, "What am I? Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. I don't know what I did different." Like well, he he literally that like, leather shirt. No, I know that, but <laughs> no one is there. Him. Yeah, someone no one is him. there telling. Like he doesn't have like a friend structure like you would have when you're growing up. Where someone's like. That is a stupid shirt. Why don't yeah, you take that yeah, off? Like yeah. everyone's like, "Hey, good job, JB. Hey, that's yeah. a pretty sweet shirt." So he just doesn't know, and you <laughs> yeah. can see, you can see him in pictures now where he just—it's almost like he's trying to process the world because the the paradigm, his paradigm, has shifted. Yeah, and I just feel bad. And of course, he's gonna fucking start to go crazy. Well, like, yeah, and also, you know, I feel my heart goes out to people like that that are under that kind of scrutiny because at the point at which the public and the media turn against you, yeah, that's a very powerful force working against you. Yeah. So even if you have all the grounding in the world, that's a hell of a force to fight back against. Well, imagine you being... have to almost be able to say, "Okay, I quit. I'm leaving the business for a while. Screw all of you." You have to imagine and then come back. You're, you're like you're in a relationship. You for go to NYU. You're in a yeah, relationship yeah, exactly. for four yeah, years, seriously. or Brown, like Emma Watson. Yeah. yeah. Um. Or 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 you uh you're in a relationship for four years, and for four years it's great. And there's not really any bumps, and the other person's like, this is my soulmate. And then all of a sudden, one day, they're like, fuck you. And you're like, what happened? What happened? Yeah. I don't know what I... Don't yeah. touch me. You know, yeah. it's like on a dime. Yeah, totally. How, how could you... Yeah. How could you wrap your mind Only around that? Only there's 80 million of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's good. I'm yeah. a, and so is your is your is your take on it? Are you more of 
like, well, I'll just step back and kind of see how it plays out or... or... Well, again, it's sort of like the way I like to come at, at this, these stories is not... I try not to, you know, I'm not of the doc variety, and I like some of these movies, but I'm not usually like, you know, here's my opinion, I'm going to ram it down your throat for 90 minutes. I sort of like to to look at the the various sides of, of this thing. Um, but I'm interested both in the present day, uh, and I'm going to be following present day people around, but I'm also interested in just the history of like, when did little kids start working? Yeah. You know, what yeah. is the history of like, you know, and sort of that, that whole kind of look at, at capitalism and, or the industrial age in terms of like when we started putting kids like to work. Like even to the point of like, you know, like in the industrial revolution, exactly. like throwing them in the mills and yeah. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Sticking them in the chimneys. Exactly. I'm going back to sort of, not for a long part of the movie, but I want to yeah. look at the Victorian era and then like <laughs> and vaudeville, which is really interesting. Yeah. Hey, little, you're, you're small. Fish those toxic chemicals out of that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'll hold on to your legs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The little rascals. Like yeah. how all well, that stuff. broke off. Whatever, next. But I also think that there was. You know, certainly, um, you know, all the little rascals turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you go talk to Robert Blake. <laughs> but, he, but the uh, uh, but the idea, you know, like in the Victorian era, where I even think it goes back to just an idea of of a, a different approach to life and death, or a different mindset of life and death. I mean, even those. Um, you know, I I, I, I had a, a mini fascination for a while with the Memento Mori pictures of like like the death pictures, mm. where uh, because mortality rates were so high mm-hmm. that it wasn't you know I mean obviously I'm sure people were sad but it just seemed very much like oh yeah well some of us aren't going to make it right <laughs> exactly. to adulthood yeah. and even then some of us aren't going to make it very far yeah and so you know just taking pictures of kid of just dead kids yeah like, well well this will this will keep them fit. so you know the is just just the the existential idea of what it means to be alive or dead or it's or that guy's a kid and you know like eh, throw him in there i'm sure you know yeah i totally agree like one thing i want to look at and i don't know how much will make it into the doc is they kind of be they end up being living processes and stuff gets thrown out but what is a kid anyway like when did we start calling kids kids right like Mm -hmm. when did we decide that someone of a certain age these little people had their own kind of identity that ended at another certain point which has a big part and once you get into the child actor world of like and what you what you think they can handle developmentally yeah so. Can I can I can I pitch a sub a sub story to that? Sure. It's the idea of um, with each each successive generation, uh, uh, the the extension of adolescence, like this idea that adolescence and teenager is totally. a thing, yeah. and not like. Well, once you hit puberty, you got to get married and start working because that's nature saying you're an adult now. Yeah. And then, and then, and then society going, well, it's 16. Well, it's 18. And now then, it's 40. You know, yeah. Now, yeah. yeah guys yeah. like, you know, <laughs> guys like us, you know, yeah. th- 30s, early 40s, like, yeah. no, we're still like, totally. We're yeah. still, you know, like, yeah. That we're even, and we're even kidding ourselves anyway. I remember seeing this as 40 and thinking they should have called it this as 50. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. John yeah, Apatow isn't 40. He's yeah, 50. Exactly. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is about 50, guys. This is not about yeah. 40. <laughs> 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 the bar just keeps raising yeah. higher and Every higher. It's always I just like the, always yeah. wanted to know what it was like being a forty-year-old billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, his business isn't doing too good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess sell your fucking Ferrari. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I like our, our record label is going to be okay. We got Ryan Adams. That's my favorite. <laughs> I guess I guess it's the I guess it's the you know life expectancy extending and maybe it has something to do with that. Yeah, I also think it's it's pop culture. I think that it's you know our our response to you know the age of gadgetry and like you know the the shock of the new. There's so many cool new things that we and I think how society is, is responding to the digital and sort of tech revolution too is. I mean, I think it's scary and it's also exciting and just, and you know there's a it'll even itself out. It'll all give us cancer. Exactly. Yeah. We'll all be but, dead. But so, yeah. but psychologically too, there's a you know. Even in even in sort of Mad Men era, you you look and you go, oh yeah, you know, at like twenty two, those people just took a job, 
And that was it. Yeah. And then they just kind of like, completely. this is my life. Yeah, totally. And so, you yeah. know, psychologically, something happens and they sort of give up on that in, in a way. And then they're just, I mean, you know, you just, you always look at old pictures and you're like, Hey, is that is that a forty five year old woman? No, no, she's nineteen. <laughs> exactly. Is that, yeah. is that a fifty year old guy? No, no, he was like twenty two. Yeah. Like everyone just yeah. looks. Yeah, they so just hard. Look older and twenty two, ten kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's the res- it's the result of the of this you know the beat in the sixties revolutions. You know, where you had the beat generation in the sixties. You had you know the sort of summer of love generation that just said screw it. You know, we're not going to follow that model. We're not we're not going to grow up. I mean, the merry pranksters and all that yeah. kind of stuff kind of gave way once that connected with technology. Like all bets were off. You know, you're <laughs> right, because I think my, my, my great grandparents on my mother's side are from Italy. I think my great grandmother was like 15 or something when they got married and just you know, and, and ended up having 11 kids. That's yeah, it. my grandmother was 16 when she got married. And they just, you know, like, all yeah. right, well, just gross, guys. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a lot of teen banging going on, but they weren't, you know. Teen banging. <laughs> teen banging. Yeah. 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 Which is your next movie after that. Yeah, right? no, I, I'm sort of folding that all into this one. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it more marketable. <laughs> it's that dangerous element yeah. you were talking about. I'm making about. a very heady show business talk about teen banging. <laughs> yeah. You I'd know, watch it. Yeah. When lie. I when I was, you know, like like I put the, it right next to my copy of eight millimeter. Uh, I'd like <laughs> that's what the world's gonna do. It's gonna make me a very rich I'm, man. I'm a child of the eighties, which was the apex of the teen sex comedy. Right. Of like yeah. fast Fast, fast times ushered yeah. in that. Completely. Oh my God, they're like fifteen and sixteen yeah. years old, yeah. and they're fucking and yeah. drinking. We're all supposed to be having science. sex. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I want to do those things. Yeah, and like Lost Boys, it was it was identical to real life in every just way. Just like it. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just yeah. just like we it. We were all yeah. studly swingers back in high school. <laughs> 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 Who would swoop down and then, oh, then destroy yeah. people, just turning things away. Yeah, all but away. you know, but as soon as you found like another young hot guy moved into town, exactly. like, oh, we got to make him a part of the fold. Absolutely, oil him up. Yeah. Yeah. Give him some hair extensions. <laughs> slap nice, some chaps on him. Such a nice coincidence. He also rode a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. It, just, it just all sort of worked out. He didn't need to ride anymore. He could yeah. fly at yeah. a certain yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, but still, that wind in your hair at ground level is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one flies that close to the ground. Whenever they develop flying. Spoiler alert. Um, uh, one guy's the head vampire, and you don't see it coming. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. He was the one guy without hair extensions. Not to yes, give it that's away. Right. Yeah. yeah. But he was really cool. He was. I always loved uh, uh, Bernard um, Herman. What was that? His name? Oh, Bernard, no, 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 that's the composer. Ed, Her- Ed, 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 Ed Herman, Herman Ed was Herman. the guy, yeah. Yeah. the head vampire guy. Yeah. Spoiler alert. And then, uh, and then Bernard, Bernard Hughes, Hughes yeah. who was in like he was in like Mr. Merlin and he Tron. Like he was in, mostly. he was in, yeah. who clearly like. In the 80s, he became like, if you needed a grisly old guy, he was your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. The whole cast was, I mean, Joel Schumacher is known for, like, really thinking outside the box casting. And that movie was, Diane Weiss. Diane Weiss had this crazy cast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. So, it was fun. Well, uh, this was really great having yeah, you fun. on. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And, I, yeah. and I, so when is when is downloaded available? Downloaded will be out uh, in theaters, some theaters, art house theaters at the end of June, and then iTunes, cable VOD in July, and then AOL in the fall. And then nice. Pirates awesome. Bay right now. And then now. VH1 2014. <laughs> and yeah, torrent sites, if you email me, I'll get you the link. <laughs> and you are, you are accessible online. Yeah, I'm easily accessible online. You, got any, you got any invites left for Demonoid? And please troll me. What's that? <laughs> you got any invites left for Demonoid, which is the torrent site? Yes, yeah, I, I'm it's just private. nodding, pretending I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> if I, if I don't get sued. Still hanging on to still hanging on to your news groups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're very, IRC is still the place to go. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Alex. Good to Thank see you, man. Guys. Yeah, awesome. Enjoy your burritos. Great. That was fun. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah.
Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Hulu Plus. Don't forget to sign up for your free trial of Hulu Plus and start watching your favorite hit shows right now. Go to HuluPlus.com forward slash Nerdist, all lowercase, for your extended free trial. Again, HuluPlus.com forward slash Nerdist. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.